After a tense wildcard weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs proved to be the only quarterfinalist from last season to return to the div- divisional round. The good news, though, this podcast, we won't finish the season with a pick six. Welcome to the Punt Return Podcast. Just the one uh, co-host today with me, James. How you doing, buddy? Good, mate. Yeah, unfortunately, Nick's not feeling wonderful this week. So, yeah, yeah. he's uh, not, out to him. Yeah, he's not feeling... He's feeling as good as Tom Brady did after throwing yeah. a, a season-ending pick six. <laughs> Um, yeah. Over under about nine and a half times I mentioned that on today's show. Um, after <laughs> after two decades of Patriots dominance, just let me have this week, okay, guys? Yeah, you got to celebrate it. Exactly. Celebrate good times. <laughs> I mean, my guy Peyton Manning went out with the Super Bowl trophy. I mean, maybe Brady should have uh, done the same last season, but we'll... Uh, and, he, and he might be on your team soon enough as well. No, so. no, no. We won't go there. <laughs> Which um, would be pretty strange. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, Before we talk coaching carousel, um, I just want to mention some, some key facts from last week. If you bet on all four NFL road underdogs the past weekend, you were pretty profitable. Uh, the only team... The, the away teams went on a successful 3-1 straight up and against the spread, depending on how you're looking at Look at it. It's probably four and zero, depending on when you bet on Buffalo, because they did close at two and a half, um, but they were plus three or plus three and a half for most of that week. So really, dominant showing for the road um, underdogs. So so much for that home field advantage. So the NFL wild card round away underdogs have now won six of eight games straight up during the past two postseasons and covered in seven of those eight contests. Furthermore, road teams are now gone eleven and one against the spread in the wild card round over the past three seasons. And eight of twelve straight up, so it's what makes the NFL so fun and exciting. It's uh, you, you know, you think the home team, the higher seed, generally, you, you, you know, although some wild cards do always have a better record than divisional winner, but uh, you know, it puts the wild in wild card, James. Yeah, it's crazy. This um, this sort of home field advantage has been pronounced all season, although that lack thereof and number of theories. The best one I heard, I think it was a Bill Simmons one along the lines of, you know, with the secondary market being what it is, we're not getting the same kind of, you know, parochial home support, whether that's changing things. Maybe teams are getting more scientifically charged with their patterns when they're on the road. But, yeah, definitely we're seeing that slip. And we're seeing it slip across multiple sports, but the NFL for sure. And you wouldn't think it would play out at, in playoff time, but it is, hmm. it absolutely, as, as those numbers bear out. Yeah, and we'll get into the numbers a little bit when we talk our past results uh, in a little bit. But uh, the coaching carousel at the moment, um, it's spinning. Uh, so we've got Mike McCarthy to it the is. Cowboys, Matt Rule to the Panthers, Joe Judge to the Giants, Ron Rivera to the Redskins. The Browns are still in the race. I feel like they can take their time now, really. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd rather wait and, and get someone better than Joe Judge. But uh, what's your thoughts on any of these coaching uh, moves, Anyone, any of them that you particularly like or dislike? Um, I think it's t- Matt Rule comes with such an amazing pedigree, and the Panthers' ownership does have a fair bit of Dave Tepper has some sort of clout both in the NFL and in Wall Street or whatever it is, and people love Rule as a sort of program builder, which makes a lot of sense, which is also weird that Cleveland never seemed to have been in the Matt Rule sweepstakes. Mm. So they do have, as you said, like heaps of time to make that appointment. Josh Daniels, Josh McTaniels is going to feel really weird if he misses out on this cycle yet again. I'd be also, I don't, I don't know why Greg Roman isn't sort of being figured whether he looks a little bit too much like Freddie Kitchens, a sort of like a <laughs> short sort of fat man, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I guess, uh, and that probably segues into a point you raised as well, or, or we were talking about off air in terms of the rule, Rooney rule in terms of. Yeah, remember that? So, remember that rule? Yeah, something Jeez. really uncomfortable is at, is at hand in the NFL. Um, I don't think, I think someone had said something along the lines of, you know, this isn't a, an NFL problem, it's an ownership problem. And I, I tend to agree with that. Um, it, it is, it's uncomfortable, um, when you have that kind of labor force 
clearly from a minority point of view, and it's certainly not reflected in, in, in management or coaching as well. So this is really, it's, there's something uncomfortable about it. And me just saying that over and over again doesn't help because I don't know the solution. Yeah. Either. Uh, um, uh, uh, it feels like the Rooney rules just yeah. gets taken for a ride. I mean, they're wheeling out Marvin Lewis for interviews just to, just to hit that sort of requirement. Whereas they could be yeah. at least, at least picking a young head coach or a good coach in college. Like even if they are just ticking a Rooney rule box, at least get his name out into the waters a little bit. I think, uh, I, um, can't remember who tweeted that out earlier as just that, like, even if you're just using it as a tick box, use it as an example to at least throw a young, exciting coach's name into the ring a little bit. So a team kind of perks up and just by chance, they could bring someone like that into for an interview and just come away thoroughly impressed. And you end up might, you might actually find a diamond in the rough rather than just wheeling out Marvin Lewis, like it's, mm. or Eric B. Enemy. Like it, it's, it, it is crazy that, the, it, especially when you see Joe Judge, like you look, <laughs> like, I don't even know a thing, about, a thing about him really, but you look at his Wikipedia page, he's been like, he was like a linebacker's coach and then that's it. And then he was special teams and wide receivers for a year. And now he's the new head coach of the Giants. Um, If he wasn't, if he wasn't coaching at the Patriots, he doesn't have that job. This is another guy that yeah. Bill Belichick, just by association, is getting someone filthy rich and in over their head. I don't think Joe Judge is going to last. I could, this could be wrong. He could end up being the next great young coach, but I just feel like, I don't know. That's a real head scratcher for me. And it, and it could be, you know, and it is a societal problem as well that sort of ownership is continually trying to see themselves reflected in who they're appointing. So mm. this is, it's a multifaceted problem, mm. unfortunately. And as, as for, as for Joe Judge, something I did read about him was something like his wife has stated that she lives a spinster's life. This is one of these nose to the ground type guys. My whole life is dedicated to football and nothing else but football. My, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, exactly. One of these sort of cliche yeah. to your stomach type things. Yeah. So I think Matt Rule's my favorite hire. Um, yeah. I just like what he's done at Baylor. I just think he's, he seems really switched on. There's some really great quotes floating around from him, some interviews and, and whatnot. It just seems very likable. So I don't know what their direction they're going to do with quarter, at quarterback, but I don't know. I feel like Rule might say, nah, I'll, I'll stick with Cam. I think I can make it work with Cam. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see w- where that goes. I don't know. Maybe the organization might force him to go in a different direction, but that's probably not a good start. So I'm sure they've had a big, long discussion about quarterback, obviously, as part of that uh, that hire there. And Josh, probably now's the chance as well, because we did sort of mention a little bit during the week, and you did have a kind of negative view on Mike McCarthy. Probably yeah. a chance to elaborate. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just feels like it's a sideways move by the Cowboys. I feel like you've just hired an older mm. Jason Garrett. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll see what his year away in sort of analytics camp has done and what that's done for him. Like, <laughs> it's very specific, wasn't it, I mean, in what he wants yeah. to have his analytical department I mean, I, look like? I did an advanced driving course one time, and now yeah. I know how to brake in the wet, but that's all I've learned from it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I mean, I can drive in a Formula One now, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I like don't know. Learning Italian on yeah. an app and quickly, like, yeah. yeah. Take me to Rome. I'm ready to go. Also, like his press conference today, he looked really pale. I mean, I know he's been in analytics camp, but he's he been outside <laughs> in the year that he's been off. Like he he doesn't look good. I don't know. I feel like this is a chance for the Cowboys to go young and exciting and 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 pair someone with Dak. That's yeah. that's a bit more inspiring than Mike McCarthy. I, I know I know he's had good years, but it felt like they were stale for like seven years there. I don't, I don't hate the hire. I must say, I don't hate it. But what I don't like about it is that we all recognize how talented this Cowboys roster is, particularly offensively, right? And this idea that, um, Jerry Jones has said he's going to look far and wide for this next candidate and leave no stone unturned. 
he hired, he interviewed two people. Yeah, and, and, and hired Mike McCarthy before firing uh, Jason Garrett. Like, are you really like yeah, rushing to stop like five other teams signing Mike McCarthy? Like, is he really the the diamond in the rough? Is he really the crown jewel that 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 everyone was trying to hire? It just seems baffling to me. And, and, the decision. And, and this whole thing that the Jones family, you know, they wanted a candidate who they've said makes us feel comfortable and you know you know makes us feel familiar. Another puppet. This is yeah. This is not a really good recipe for a successful business or football team or whatever you want to call it. If you just want to be comfortable all the time, well, you're going to be eight and eight, nine and yeah. seven for the next how many years? It just I, I don't I don't like that. that Do you know who's that, uncomfortable well. to be around and be a part of? Bill Belichick. <laughs> like, yeah, that's per- yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, un- yeah you're comfortable keeps... by being uncomfortable. Like, there's always something to do, and that's that's yeah. the mindset with Bill. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, going to slap each other on the yeah. back all day. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, this look, is, yeah. the, the one thing I'm happy about in terms of Joe Judge is a special teams coach getting higher. I, I still think um, people overlook special teams coaches. I think John mm. Harbour is an excellent, excellent example. You can oversee the entire team as a whole. You can game plan. You can use, use up your free time. You're not focused on, on your offense and your defense specifically. You have great coordinators in place for you to do that. So you can kind of, just oversee everything, and because you're a special teams coach, you understand probabilities more in terms of special team rules and and when to kick a field goal and when not to kick a field goal, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. Joe Judge getting one over someone like Dave Tube, who was getting interviews a few years ago, um, the Kansas City head coach. This is his special teams by DVOA just the last six years. Second, second, fourth, first, ninth, third, first. And then when he was at the Bears, he was sixth, first, first, fourth, fifth, first, first, yeah, then back is, in 2005, 27th, and then 12th. But like, that's a mental. Yeah, that's it's, mental. It's, ma- it's amazing. And it's not just yeah. like, oh, he's always had the best kicker or punter. Like, there's always new people coming and going there. Like, he's just consistent on the board. And the and the Chiefs were 22nd in DVOA before they, they hired Tube, and then they went to first a year later. Like, I just think, I don't know, and he's worked with good GMs, he's worked under Reed, he's an assistant head coach. I think that's, it's not a flashy hire, but I think that's the guy the Browns should hire. I think... <laughs> Hire him, bring in two good coordinators, get someone that doesn't have to worry about the whole roster and just a good offensive coordinator that can say, all right, Baker, let's like, let's go away and let's work this out and let's, let's work out a great game plan and let's leave our head coach to worry about everything else. And, and again, you know what? Maybe we, we do all of this. We do all our reading, all our analyzing and everything. It might come down to maybe we're just giving too much sort of respect to ownership. Maybe we're looking far too much into it. And these decisions are basically as Jerry Jones. Come and sleep at my house for one night, um, and and here's a five year deal. Yeah, that's a weird and like, sleepover. And the, it's a weird sleepover and weird a five year deal. Like that's all. I wonder, you know, what, I wonder what platform they watch. Like, do they watch Netflix or Disney Plus? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what. They... T, what's the what's the old old timer movies? Oh like, yeah, the T and M TCM movies. Yeah, yeah. or is there, if there's a Clint Eastwood channel, yeah, I'm definitely. sure they would have been yeah, tuned into. They would have been onto that for sure. Um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it wouldn't be. That's not fly <laughs> on the wall. I'd yeah. like to land on in exactly. that in that, in that <laughs> I, I do love that every year this time of the year is just um, teams that need a head coach just go onto Google, type in number one seed NFC, number one and seed yeah. AFC, look at coordinators, that's and that's that's normally where they go. So this year it's a little bit different, which is surprising because normally that's the way they go. You see your Salah, Robert Salars getting interviews, your Greg Romans getting interviews, but it hasn't kind of panned out this way. True, and I'm more for a body of work. Like I'd love Salah to stay a little bit longer. Uh, Brian Dable as well at Buffalo. I'd like him to get the the, the, the numbers on the board a little bit more. Yeah. It's not so much this case with Greg Roman. Greg Roman's pretty much been doing this for a decade. Yeah. Um, I, I, he's the one I'd like to see next cab off the rank, but I tell you what, Baltimore, if they were able to hold him, 
within this cycle of of yeah. of, of Exodus, that's going to be huge yeah. for them exactly. going forward. So. Which uh, is which is weird, yeah. That's what it's going to come down to. Who can keep their staff yeah. in situ as well? So yeah. Yeah. maybe the Browns signing Greg Roman just to get him out of the Ravens is a part of the reason, maybe that they could go that direction. Also, a lot of Jim Swartz talk, hey, with with Cleveland. Uh, that, that's not going to end well. That's definitely not going to end well. Yeah, great aggressive coordinator in a particular yeah. part of the field. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Some guys, that, yeah. some guys are just better as coordinators. I think Absolutely, just, their ceilings are coordinators. I mean, yeah. that's it. Um, just yep. like my ceiling is amateur podcast host. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna host a multi-million dollar follower podcast. I'm just still here in the, in, in the comfortable range of the number of listeners that we have. Just make sure, just check if there's any missed calls. Yeah, Josh, exactly. <laughs> keep, keep your yeah, eye over there. Let's see how we go. One final thought on just NFL teams and coaching stuff. This time last year, the Colts coordinators were getting, uh, interviews. And this is again, touching on, just teams Googling playoff team coordinators. Yes, they, the, the Colts have their, their their elite quarterback retire like 10 days before the season, and then suddenly now our coaches aren't good enough to be head coaches. It just strikes me. Like, I know we missed the playoffs. The season didn't end great, but we still still went 7-9 and nine with, with a backup quarterback and had, like, we don't have any, like, really elite players outside of Quinton Nelson and Darius Leonard. Um, and, and T.Y. Hilton, and that's, that's about it. And I just think that, that just seems crazy that teams look at records rather than the body at work and, and what teams have done given their players and talent and all that sort of stuff. But that's, that's the NFL. A lot of, that's why Bill Belichick has like seven rings because most of the, most of the NFL coaches are pretty stupid. Yeah, and we say every week pretty much on the podcast as well, like context matters, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. In everything. So Mike McCarthy, he's only worked with Aaron Rodgers. They're trying to do the Andy Reid. You know, come back in, but Andy yeah. Reid had worked with about, including Brett Favre's as a as a quarterback coach. You know, McNabb, Vic, you name them. He, he'd done a lot of work in a lot of different roles for a long time, yep. and had success um, with different iterations of that Eagles team as well. So, this is yeah, that's the McCarthy thing, which is the one quarterback. But we'll see how it all pans out. And we'll uh, we'll talk about the Browns high next week. Hopefully, they'll have a high by then. If not, we'll uh, we'll wait another week. Um, but let's talk previous weeks. Our lock of the week last week was the Bills plus three. It was a push. We looked pretty good up 16 nil. Uh, but alas, here we are 12, five and two now this season on our locks of the week. Uh, my best bets this week. I went zero, one and one. Bills plus three was a push, uh, for the, for the show. Thankfully, I got three plus three and a half earlier on in the week with the Bills when it first opened, um, which was a blessing. So sometimes grabbing the early line, profitable. Um, at Eagles first half kind of got derailed a little bit by the, uh, Carson Wentz injury. So I'll just take that in the, just take the loss. Uh, Nick, he went zero, zero and one as well. Uh, we only had a couple of plays, but plus three was a push. Um, but he did have a, a long shot as well. The double bills plus three and a half under 44 at 375. That lobbed, but the shining light, Nick, uh, James, Derek Henry, $13 most playoff rushing yards for Derek Henry. Here we are, 182 yards. He's got a very good head start. No Alvin Kamara now. Uh, yeah, the Seahawks rushing was like 19 yards. So, you know, it's, it's looking pretty good. And, and the Ravens will probably have a three pronged attack. So there's a chance, even if they lose this week, that he may hang on to that. Yeah. And I didn't play it because I had a little bit of 41 to one for Tennessee AFC conference mm. still in pocket. I didn't want to double up. That should have been a, oh no, you know, yeah. Especially the 49ers a, will uh, share it around with Breeder and, and most of yeah, it. And, yeah. And Coleman I know. as well. 
I know. Well, you know what it might come down to, and we're going to touch on this later with Green Bay. Yeah. And I think Could it's a major Jones. question about, well, that's the mm. big question for yeah. me, whether the reins will be lifted and Aaron Jones is able to play, but that's, we'll get yeah. to that part later. Yep. All right. Let's talk biggest takeaways from wildcard weekend, apart from the fact that Tom Brady is done and threw a pick six in his last ever pass, possibly for the Patriots. <laughs> um, so I'm going to stay in the division though and look at the team that many expect possibly to take the reins of that division. Um, and take over from the Patriots potentially, um, which they won't because as long as Bill Belichick's in the building, um, you could play any quarterback you want and they're going to win 10 games. Um, but, uh, where do they go from here, the Bills? I mean, you know, th- their remaining upside resides in the right arm of Josh Allen. The, the former seventh overall pick looked incredible at times this season. He looked incredible against the Texans. But he looked incredibly poor most of the time this season and, and especially poor in the fourth quarter when they were up and decided to stop giving the ball to Devin Singletary against the the worst uh, outside rushing defense in the NFL. I, I, it baffled me that Devin Singletary ran the ball like six times in the entire second half when they had a lead. I don't know why they're dropping back with Josh Allen, but anyway, um, he's he's entering a pivotal third season. Um, you know, I just don't know if he's elite enough to t- kind of take them to the to the chosen land to win a playoff game and, and go on a playoff run. They had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL this year. That's not going to be the case next year. They're going to have that second place slate. Um, so they, I don't know. Are they going to be aggressive in, in the offseason? Probably. And they all improve their team. But I just don't know if Allen has the upside enough to be, you know, they deserve more because they're building really well. They've, what they've done outside of, of Allen at quarterback is, is nice. I really like what they've done, but I just don't know where they go from here because he was downright atrocious in that fourth quarter. It was horrendous. And I just don't know if he's, he's the heir to the throne. I think they need to look elsewhere. And you make a really good point there. And, and that's in terms of on their schedule tab for next year is the NFC West, yep. who absolutely is the strongest division in football. I'm convinced of that. Um, yeah. and yeah, I, I agree as well. I think Baltimore, uh, Buffalo are going to have to get quite aggressive. They're going to have to add a receiver in through free agency as well and try and sort of fix the margins around. I think they can work with Allen. I'm not that excited that how high the ceiling is. They don't seem to be in the, in the, even in the vicinity of KC or Baltimore ahead of next year, but I'm not completely out on them yet, but mm. I haven't, I haven't loved that whole Allen era. The first drive of the game was awesome because it was all trick plays, handoffs, and yeah. Allen catching the ball, Allen running the ball. And then when they used up all their good plays, Josh Allen couldn't throw the ball accurately or you know efficiently. It's just it's just not a a a way that you can have sustained success long term in the NFL. Sure, you can win ten games in a season with with an average quarterback if things go, the things, yeah, if things go yeah. your way. We, we've seen it. The, the Cowboys things didn't go their way and they missed the playoffs. That's on the other side of the uh, other side of the coin. I just I just don't know what the answer is for Buffalo. It was a, it was a devastating loss just given where they were and how good that defense is and, and you know, if they do sack Deshaun Watson, we're talking totally different about about the Bills, but I still think Josh Allen, regardless of the result, was especially poor and, and cost them that game late in in the fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. It, who, this is the, the key is the streak still lives on, right? That's that's the whole point. It's mm. still from nineteen ninety five, so it's still a lot of tears for Buffalo. And that that's that's gonna continue until they, they actually win a playoff game. Yeah. My 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 um my takeout was and it's what I absolutely adore about the NFC NFL this time of year, or any sport for that matter when it gets to playoff time, is that you can't hide from your weak spots. In in, in fact, covering up your weak spots might be even more important than your strengths this time of the year. And and we look at the the four teams who were ousted last week. Josh, we've been talking about the Bills and all the limitations around Allen, which we'd seen all year in big spots. The Pats were telling us all year just who they were, 
how slow they were on offense, how uninspiring, how, how bad lacking. You know, bad, bad quarterback play. They didn't score a single point in the second half in a major playoff spot. Yep. So they couldn't run away from that weakness either. Philly, they ran out of talent, and they ran out of talent a while ago, completely injured. And they, this was the thing. They ran into a good team. We have different opinions on where, who Seattle is and how good, but this was when they came up against a good team. Hmm. Out they go. New Orleans Saints. They were getting, where was their plan B throughout the year? They were getting just 4.3 yards per rush, just nine touchdowns on the ground. That's the second worst mark in the team. Far too one-dimensional. Alvin Kamara just 15 touches in that game against Minnesota. Yeah. Also, people with New Orleans, so we, we even mentioned this before uh, on last week's pods in terms of them in big spots lacking that difference. Yeah. Um, whether it's a run game, whether, but, but I think also the defense comes into it as well. They made a massive trade on draft night a couple of seasons ago to bring in Marcus Davenport, completely unproven at college level, not even projected in the first round. He's probably been a C, C plus since arriving there. He's been injured. He ended up getting injured again. And the thing is, this was at a time where we look at the way Baltimore, New England constructed. It's a sort of outside in. And this is the trend. You know, you're building from your secondary, your cornerbacks. Pass rushes actually, it's not a position teams are wanting to pay premium price for. I just feel that New Orleans made a massive, massive gamble at that, and they're paying the price for it. So, yeah, covering up weaknesses, it, that's a big deal. And I think they, all of those four teams, they got exposed for those for those big areas. Yeah, and we mentioned New Orleans had the most to lose really last week, and and, yeah. and, and Minnesota was second on that list, and, and they had the most to gain, I guess. Kirk Cousins now, you yeah. know, that was a massive – we'll talk about him in, in, in a little bit. But, yeah, the, the Saints' loss is especially – it's huge. I mean, when your best player is your third string quarterback, that's just a strange game plan. I felt like they were holding back. I felt like they were trying to save some of their stuff because they knew they were going to be facing potentially San Fran in the, in the NFC championship game. So I don't know if they were, I don't know. It was, it was a weird game. Um, I still have a major gripe with the overtime rules when, when players like Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan and Drew Brees, they're just three recent examples in playoffs in the, the new overtime rules where they don't even see the ball. It's odd. It, it is odd because it is an offensive league now and basically winning the toss, I think it's seven out of ten times now is the winner of the overtime is the winner of the coin toss. It, and and, and it's, 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 it seems, it seems asinine to me that they don't even get a chance to tie it at, at yeah. the very least. And especially when all the rules and all the emphasis in the modern NFL is about attack. Yeah, exactly. So everything, you, you, so, you know, you touch anybody, that's a penalty, that's a penalty, yeah. that's a penalty. It's a massive advantage for that, for the attacking team. And yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's really flawed. Yeah. I don't, I don't particularly like the college. I like college overtime for college. I just don't want it in the NFL. I just feel like it ruins totals and adds people's mm. stats to touch too easily with touchdowns and things. Cause you could end up having like, you know, six back to back touchdowns and every people end up with like nine touchdowns in a game, which, Seems silly, but I just think one last drive, and if you don't get it, basically you get four goes because you're going to have four downs. If you if you don't score, then that's it. Um, I think the NFL Players Association needs to probably step up and and do something. Even if even if you change it in the playoffs and just have an extra quarter, like I think that would make even more sense to me. I know health and and concussions and body issues and things like that in the regular season are a major concern, but in the playoffs, I feel like it gives teams a fair chance to win a game um, in in regular in an extra period of time rather than just winning a coin toss. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I don't, I don't love it at all. It's a bit uncomfortable. Uh, Nick had a takeaway as well. He said, um, Tom Brady, why did you throw a pick six to fit? <laughs> no, he didn't. Um, he basically is, is, is loving the Dak Prescott now. He's on, he, he loves the Mike McCarthy hire, Nick, and we'll have to talk to him about this, uh, next week, but, uh, he, he, he's saying, get on Dak Prescott for MVP 2020. McCarthy's the perfect head coach for him. 
be able to utilize his tools and still have Zeke to fall back on. Perfect situation for Dak to thrive even more. So a McCarthy truther. Nick. Or is Nick playing silly sort of games here? Is you know is he nah, making the bad? The old Annie yeah. Jinx, the old yeah. win-win scenario. That was that was my uh, <laughs> put money on the Patriots' futures. So if they win the Super Bowl, I'm not depressed because I'll be filthy rich. Um, by the way, um, if you guys want to help me out, I uh, I'm eating two minute noodles for dinner for like three weeks because um, yeah, I bet on Pat's futures. If you want to help me out, because I did, I, I literally burnt my money for the greater good. Please DM me and I'll send you my details. Please. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's um let's talk to. Divisional weekend now. Um, so I touched on the road underdogs in wildcard weekend atop the show. The divisional round's a little bit of a different animal with the top two seeds in each conference getting a bye week. So they've, they've got a little bit of an advantage, an extra buffer. So in last year's divisional round, home teams went 4-0 and straight up and 3-1 and against the spread. The Vikings and Titans will try and buck the trend of 12 consecutive losses for road teams in Saturday divisional round games. Home teams are 25 and 7 in the divisional round in 2011 straight up, but 15 and 17 against the spread. More importantly, because we've got some big lines here, favorites of seven points or more are only seven and 11 against the spread in that time frame with four outright losses. Crazy, crazy stats there for the divisional round. Let's start week the game one. Minnesota at San Fran, 49ers, minus seven. Total is 45. This one's on Sunday, 8.35 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. James, what have you got for us? Oh, this is this is huge. Again, the NFC for me, the two the two bigger games this week, the, the two sort of more intriguing games. We touched on it before. What we saw from Minnesota last week, that was a monumental performance. One of the best wins in Viking franchise history, to be honest. We spoke about all the things they had to lose last week. We talked about the Rick Spielman era as GM. We talked about the Kirk Cousins acquisition, and they were fantastic, I thought, all game. And that's the kind of Vikings performance that we've been waiting for years to see. And why they started, if you remember last season, upon the Cousins acquisition is just about Super Bowl favorites. It's taken this long for to completely coalesce. Um, and when they play like that, that kind of even-handed approach, it supports so much of the statistical evidence that says they really don't have any weaknesses or very few at worst. There's a really balanced attack, top 10 defensive unit as well. And I, uh, but the, the, the problem is, this game, and I hate the cliche, it, it, it might come down to, to what happens in the trenches. So for San Francisco, it's all about, for me, and I wrote about this for Stats Insider this week, that the, the turnovers have dried up for the 49ers. Yes, they got the number one seed, completely deserve it as well. 20 turnovers uh, produced over their first nine weeks. And they're just seven in their last seven. And that's speaking to also all these nail-biting finishes because they're not getting the extra possession advantage in these matches. So we think of that Seattle game. Mm. We think of the Atlanta loss as well. So... Can this San Francisco def- uh, defense, particularly a defensive line who generates more pressure than any other team in the competition, I think 17% on, 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 on opposition, um, on opposition plays, can they break through a really good Minnesota offensive line? And then B, can they force Cousins into mistakes once they have broken through? So there's a, this is sort of a two-tiered question. And then if that can't work, can they at least slow down the Delvin Cook train as well? So I'm less worried about the San Francisco offense than I am of those defensive questions. I've got complete faith in Shanahan and him using those weapons and getting the best out of that running game attack and, and all those receiving options. But it's when the Vikings run game gets going, that just opens up everything for Minnesota. We've spoken before in a pod about how devastating, we saw it last week as well in terms of that play action. Teams have to be cognizant of the threat that Cook has on the ground and how good Cousins' deep ball can be. So when that running game gets going for the Vikings, they're 10-2 and when they get over 100 yards in a match. 
yet they fall to one and four when that falls apart. So I think that's the only weakness is that that running game doesn't get going. Um, so I think it's going to come down to the wire. I, I absolutely, like, I, I love San Francisco just probably to win the NFC entirely, but this isn't a wonderful matchup for them. So I think the Vikings can definitely cover. I think San Francisco advances, but geez, this is going to be a huge, huge game. And I just, yeah, Vikings for me last week, that was just about the performance of the week. Loved it. Yeah. Um, I, I like the Vikings as well. I think they can cover. Um, wouldn't shock me if they win. Mm. Um, the burning question in this one is, what are the chances Kirk Cousins gives an encore performance? I mean, his career's been yeah. defied by massive ebbs and flows. Just when you believe in Kirk, he lets you down in a, in a big spot, and this would be a big spot. But when you when you kind of give up on him, like a lot of people were down on them last week, including me, I was worried about their offense just because they finished the year, especially against Green Bay. It was an ugly, ugly performance for them against the Packers. I think they only had seven first downs. So, you know, when you kind of give up on them, he plays like he did against New Orleans. So the cousin cycle is kind of real. But uh, we've got another scheduling gift, gift here with another day game. So um, that <laughs> that's going to benefit Kirk. But maybe Jimmy G might be the quarterback that kind of lays an egg. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, some recent clutch performances from him. And you touched on the, the lack of extra possessions from turnovers. So they've had to kind of mm. grind out those wins. And Jimmy's been clutch, particularly against the Rams, where he completed two, uh, I think it was fifth, first and 16 and a third and 16. Um, for, for big completions and gains and, and, and win them games. But, you know, the question for a lot of the 49ers season was whether Jimmy G was good enough to lead his team on a playoff run. I guess we'll know soon enough. Um, this is his first playoff start. Since 2013, quarterbacks are 6 and 17 when they're making their first postseason start, including 1 and 2 this season. So, you know, first, first quarterbacks in the playoffs, it's never, it never kind of goes the way you want it. But this is a different team. Obviously, they're a more complete team. They're not relying on their quarterback play. But in a game where, you know, the edges are minute and where that's going to matter, maybe that could be the difference there if, if Cousins outplays Garoppolo. And speaking of Cousins, the Vikes, just such a different team when Cook and Thielen are on the, on the field together at, yeah. at in full strength. So, you know, against the Saints was the first time that happened since week six, and they combined for 262 of the Vikings' 362 yards. The far more efficient, his cousin's a far more efficient operator with them healthy on the field, and he'll need to be, he'll need them to be against the Niners that rank seventh in opposing QBR, first in completion percentage against, first in opponent yards per attempt and yards per completion, and first in plays of 20 plus yards down the field. It's a pass defense, really, with no weaknesses. Um, but they're a bit banged up, and they've given up twenty or more in their last uh, in eight of their last nine games. So you know, it's it's hard if if Cook can get going and opens up the play action, then that's going to give them a chance to really compete and, and score points. But D Ford being back, and I saw this stat from Bill Barnwell. In the in they've played one hundred and eight snaps together. D Ford, Nick Bosa, and Quan Alexander, when all three of them on the field in one hundred and eight snaps. Opposing quarterbacks posted a QBR of three out of a, that's three out of a hundred. Like, you're better off just throwing the ball into the turf. Um, so yeah. that's pretty crazy. I know 108 snaps is not really a massive sample size, but still, I think D Ford just helps Nick Bosa so much. And, and yeah. Fred Warner's great. And him now being back, like him having Quan Alexander next to him rather than an undrafted free agent in Emmanuel Mosley. It's going to be crazy, but the key might be on the ground here. I think the Vikings, they run the ball 4.5 yards per carry. The the 49ers um, allowed to opposing running backs tw- 23rd in the lead. So I think they can do that, replicate the formula from last week, keep Jimmy G off the field, keep this 49ers fast-paced, potent offense off the field, and they have a chance. New Orleans had scored 34 points in six of the last seven games, scored touchdowns on 80% of their red zone trips over the past three seasons. 
The Saints were were rolling, and Minnesota's D held them to four of eleven on third downs and only allowed two red zone trips. Like hell of a job by the Vikings. Daniel Hunter mm. was a man possessed last week against a very good offensive line of the Saints. If he can do that again and, and really pressure Jimmy G, um, we'll see we'll see how things go up. Uh, and George Kittle, this is a key one as well. Against the Vikings secondary, uh, Minnesota ranked 12th in receiving yards allowed to opposing tight ends during the season. Um, I don't know if you bet on exotics, uh, James, but, uh, maybe sacks over under might be the way to go here. Um, there will yeah. be, there will be sacks. So San Fran are 9.1% in the adjusted sack rate. Second in the NFL, they're going against the 14th ranked Minnesota O-line and then Minnesota. 8.2 adjusted sack rate. They're fifth in the NFL going against the 15th ranked offensive line. So two fronts that are devastating. And I think this game could come down to kind of turnovers. Obviously, that's, you know, Captain Obvious. But plenty of sacks, plenty of pressure. Could be fumbles. You know, who hangs onto the ball more? Cousins or Garoppolo? Who Who's a little bit sloppy? Vikings forced 31 turnovers during their regular, se- during the regular season. And Jimmy G committed 18 giveaways of his own. So you kind of get the slight edge to the Vikings. It's a tough one. I've got it minus six, minus six and a half on my numbers. So I lean Minnesota plus seven. I've already got plus seven and a half shares. Um, so that's where I'm at. Uh, Nick likes the overs here. Um, so that's, that's where he's at. So no real kind of strong play from any of us, really. Um, but I mean, I'm really excited. It's a great game to kind of kick off. Divisional round. Yeah, I agree. And as again, like as you said with those sacks, we hate to do the cliche, but this is really good. Just watch the offensive line, guys. Watch what's happening inside in this match. Yeah. You know, we're talking about Daniil Hunter as well. Like Daniil Hunter, I think, got a sack against uh, Ramscheck. Is that how we pronounce? Yeah, Ram- Ramcheck, yeah. Ramcheck. That was yep. the first sack he's conceded all season mm. on that left edge. Yep. Uh, and that speaks to Daniil Hunter. And that speaks to, again, this is just going to be so in the trenches. Yep. And Reason why I think those, as I said, I think the, the, the turnovers will come for San Francisco as long as that pass rush is still there. That's the beauty of a great pass rush. So yeah, yeah, yeah I can't it, wait for this match. Yeah, I know we always like, we all like a lot of, a lot of podcasts, a lot, not just us. Everyone talks about quarterbacks and, and wide receivers and weapons yeah. and everything like that. But it ultimately could just be, you know, a Daniil Hunter against an offensive lineman. That's just the game record that, you know, that was yep. the one that was the, the, the breeze fumble. That was pretty much, that was costworthy in the, in the fourth quarter. That, that's something I could see happening. To Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, yeah. Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and Minnesota made him look ordinary. So, I mean, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna, I'm a, of all the teams this week, I think, uh, in terms of at that at that price, uh, the money line. I think I, if I was kind of doing a confidence pool of, of something over like not picking the favorites, I'd probably be most confident in the Vikings. So, I know you love Seattle, but we'll get to that yeah, in a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, Tennessee at Baltimore Ravens minus nine and a half. Total is forty six and a half. This is on Sunday, twelve fifteen p.m. prime time. Uh, f- for us, obviously, Sunday afternoon, beautiful. Uh, the Titans, look, they're a legitimate team. They certainly deserve to be here. One of the strongest six seeds in recent memory. You know, likely the three seed, or even the, maybe even in the two seed, potentially, if, if Tannehill starts the season. But the Ravens are just too good to fade. I, I can't pick against them, but at the same time, I'm not going to pick them because I'll, I'll get to some reasons in a second. But they're the, the Ravens are the winners of 12, 12 straight. They're 9-1 against the spread in those in their last 10 games. And in those 10 games, all have come by double digits in eight of them. Eight of 10 wins by double digits. Um, obviously rested starters in, in week 17. Didn't matter. Still won. The updated weighted DVOA, which eliminates early season schedule, now has the Ravens absurdly high up there with the 2007 Patriots, who uh, also lost, um, in, in the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, 
Can't all be winners, Tom. Um, Lamar Jackson accounted for 43 <laughs> touchdowns in 15 games, and they led the NFL in scoring 33.2 points a game. Titans defensive coordinator Dean P spent eight years in Baltimore, so there's going to be some familiarity there with the staff, similar to the Titans-Patriots game. Uh, Tennessee's defense ranks 11th against the rush at 104.1 rush yards allowed per game. But as we know, it's one thing to stop, quote-unquote, the rush, but it's also another thing to stop Lamar Jackson and this rushing offense. Yeah. Literally the the greatest rushing offense of all time now. They've they've broken the record, so um, it's it's a totally different thing. But Dean P's familiarity with the Ravens a little bit will come in handy. But obviously no one's really familiar with this Lamar Jackson running game. But the only thing I can really point to as a, as a way to slow down the Ravens' defense is maybe there could be a little bit of rust. They've had two weeks of rest potentially. You know, maybe yeah, it's probably a shit narrative to say, but it's obviously it's just about the only thing that I could see slowing this absurdly efficient offense down. Maybe it might take them a quarter to get going, and maybe that could be the big reason that maybe the the, the uh, Titans can get out to an early lead and hold on for a cover. Um, that, that could potentially be the way. Um, but the only thing sort of stopping me from hammering the Ravens minus nine and a half is Derek Henry. The thing about his running style is there's no real way to plan for it. You can stack the box, which is something the Patriots tied, but tried, but they still couldn't slow him down. Bill Belichick's arguably the greatest defensive mind in the NFL history. And he had no idea what to do against Henry. No matter what defense the Patriots put in, Henry was was able to gash it up. And you just watch them. You watch them late in the game. Do you know how hard it is to physically get up off the grass after Derek Henry runs over you for the thirty seventh time? It's 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 just hard to stop. And you know he was he was crazy. And that's even before you factor in like play action and and the impact that has on the passing game. So I think Titans are kind of the rare team that could match the the Ravens offense punch for punch. And what's ugly for the Ravens is they have an obvious weakness, and that is against the run. They gave up 4.4 yards per rushing attempt, which isn't ideal. You know, when you're facing a running back that's averaging over 6.23 yards per carry over his last seven games, he's racked up a thousand yards in seven games. He's on. Tra- if you extra, if you made that into a 16 game, he's nearly 3,000 yards. It's <laughs> that's it's, mad. It's nuts. And and so while I'm not going to take take the Ravens, I, I just think that the Ravens' one weakness comes to defending the run. So the Titans do have a pathway to keeping this game close. But if they fall behind, I could see easily that this defense that isn't as good as they looked against a horrendous Patriots quarterback. Hey Tom, um, I think they I think they're I think they're toast if if they fall behind. Baltimore can pretty much name their score and and just run over teams. We saw them do it against the Texans. So I'm not going to overlook how well the Ravens' defense has played either during their hot streak. They've held five playoff teams to 20 points or less. So that's holding me off from from taking taking the Ravens. I lean minus nine and a half, but I really prefer the over forty six and a half. This is two of the best red zone scoring defenses in the NFL in terms of red zone scoring percentage in terms of touchdowns. So Tennessee has seventy six point six percent in terms of when they reach the red zone, they score a touchdown seventy six point six percent of the time. That's amazingly high. They're first in the NFL. Baltimore are second at 67, and then there's another 5% gap between Baltimore and the third-ranked team, which is Tampa, which is a whole other thing. Um, but 67%, they're second. But the key matchup, though, is Baltimore are actually third in terms of red zone scoring defense percentage. Tennessee are 30th. So if, if Baltimore are getting to the red zone, they're scoring. Mm. And so that is kind of a real big matchup favor in, in, favor of the, in favor of the Ravens. But I also really think that these two teams can score points and I like the over and as I said if there is a scenario where the Ravens just roll they could score 40 on their own against this Titans defense it wouldn't shock me at all but it also wouldn't shock me if this is kind of a 27-24 or 28-24 or a 30-27 to game and 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 the Ravens just hang on by the skin of their teeth or they get out to a lead and, and Titans kind of 
come back late. So I'm, I'm going to leave the line alone and take over 46 and a half. Uh, what have you got? I get all the Titans love. I absolutely do. And I'm happy to have, still happy to have a little bit of 40 to one AFC title in pocket. I think there's still a 13 out there. So if you, it's not too late to jump on the Tennessee train if you want, but I, I really do smell a Ravens blowout here. First, let's be honest, the Titans hadn't beat much last week. Take away all that brand power of the Pats, Brady, Belichick. This was a dreadful team, particularly on offense. Yeah. And even with the turnover advantage that Tennessee had in that game, it was only until, you know, it was, it was a, it was a neck and neck game all, all right until the very end. I know they won by seven, but it was really a one point win with the pick six that ended it. So Tennessee is, you know, they didn't make mincemeat of, of one of the worst teams in, in, in the playoffs, absolutely, this last weekend. Also, I'm skeptical, like, we talk about running all year and, and the benefits of a run game, but it's a one-dimensional one game in Tennessee. It's a, it's a one-direction kind of approach at the moment. Yes, Tannehill's numbers are absolutely wonderful. I still am suspicious of the small sample size, and I'm suspicious of that kind of one-dimensional offense coming up against its exact opposite in Baltimore who can hit you in any number of ways and hit you quickly. And I speak of quickly as well because that's a, that, that really might come into it. Baltimore, not only have they have, as you said, this is maybe one of the best offenses the game's seen in probably going back to those 08 Patriots. They average eight points per first quarter on offense, which is a full point more than the next best team in the competition. So they can get out on top of you quite early. So, and I, I understand the Ravens aren't breathtaking against the run, but they haven't needed to be so far. And they haven't had to worry about it either, especially with their lights out offense can take the Titans potentially out of its rhythm really early. That's what I'll be looking for. So another thing, we're trying to find holes in every team and little edges that can be exploited. Titans have a glaring hole on the offensive line. It's conceding sacks at a league high 11% of its dropbacks and have given up 56 on the season. What do we know about Baltimore's defense? It brings the heat. Oh boy, they blitz. They blitz in an obscene rate. Martindale has these guys blitzing at 50. Basically one in every two dropbacks. Ravens are bringing a blitz, which yeah. is why the likes of Peters and that now, you know, I think, did Peters just get all pro? Am I, yeah, my he was, yeah, me? he got all pro. I mean, yeah. staggering. I, yeah. Uh, we, I could do another podcast on the all pro, but like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> true, I know. Well, we can, we, and we'll come to Zadaria Smith as well. We'll yeah. talk about that later in the pod as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Baltimore are going to bring the house. I can just see them getting on top of them early. All this momentum. There's a lot of love in Baltimore. There's a lot of excitement. That's my only reason why I don't completely subscribe to the rust factor this with this team. This is, then again, they are young in some respects. So it, that yep. might, but even in those big spots, you know, we wondered about how to handle Seattle early in the year. They blew them to pieces. They, you know, they beat San Francisco in that big spot. They tore, you know, New England <laughs> yeah. apart in that massive game early in the year as well. So I don't think the bright lights are going to scare them. Um, and I, I, I really consider them getting on top of them early. Yeah, we, we sort of spoke off there. Can Derrick Henry get that running game going from behind? That's going to come down to, to, to see to how Tennessee want to approach this. But yeah, I'm comfortable with the Ravens getting the cover. I think these two teams are in completely different orbits. Mm. I mean, this was a five-game better team throughout the season. And even on those sort of uh, red zone numbers for Tennessee, that's against the likes of Jacksonville, Indianapolis, and Houston particularly, you know. like yep. So there's, there's some some trepidation there. So yeah, got to love the Ravens. Yeah, I just it's just hard to... You know, I, I really like the Chiefs in the next game. It's just hard to pick yeah. two minus nine and a half favorites in I the know. divisional round. It just, but you're talking about two really special teams. You're talking about Baltimore and the Ravens. They're probably the two best teams remaining in the, in the entire playoffs. So, 
Um, and a perfect you know, storm against the Texans as well, which we'll get to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you talk about them hammering the Pats as well, the, the, the Ravens. They did that with a couple of special team issues as well. They had a fumble on a return. They had like all, they had a block kick and, and things like that. And they still managed to win by double digits, I, I think. So I think it was double digit, but they, they won comfortably anyway. It was, yeah, they've just been such a good team and it's hard to really fade them. But I just think the over at this point, I think nine of the uh, Titans last 11 games has gone over as well. So I think mm. it's a perfect storm of, of points and, and even with the rust factor, I know it's a it's a bad narrative, but even if the Ravens, as good as they are, even if they even if they snooze for the first quarter and, and really get into rhythm for three quarters, they're still going to beat teams. So, um, mm. yeah, that's yeah, I agree. Um, Nick's kind of a contrarian. He he likes the Titans to cover. Um, he he's saying that he thinks uh, Derrick Henry is on a tear, vintage vintage AP or, or CJ two K like unstoppable at the moment. If the Pats can't do it, I'm not sure the Ravens can either. Titans can't allow the Ravens to get out to an early lead and have to chase them, so they've got to put the pressure on early. He said the Ravens have been incredibly fun, but he's going to take the Titans to to cover. Um, so, you, did you just call the police on uh, Nick for picking the Titans? It's a no go around. Yeah, or maybe they came, maybe they came to your house to a, to a, they've gone to the wrong house. They've gone to arrest you, obviously, for too much Tom Brady slander. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to slander Tom Brady online too much because otherwise you get uh, you get your mentions blown up. This generally what happens. Anyway, uh, Houston at Kansas City. Chiefs minus nine and a half. Total is 51. It's Monday morning, 7 a.m. The Bills plus three and a half covered for me last week. And now I get to bet on the Texans again. What a win-win scenario. Um, and the Texans weren't even good. So that was, it was also great. Um, yeah, Josh Allen's inexperience in the big moment really showed. Handed Houston several opportunities to rally back and win that game. In overtime, four of the Bills' drives stalled and Houston forced them to kick four field goals, whereas Allen, you know, let the Texans off the hook. Patrick Mahomes will rip your heart out and then stomp on it. If you hand him five scoring opportunities, he's going to he's going to exploit the 26th-ranked passing DVOA defense of the Texans. They're also 24th in the league in, opposing, uh, in opponent yards per attempt. So just big plays down the field against Mahomes' arm. Yeah, Will, Feller, Will Fuller's return definitely boosts Houston's aerial attack. But KC ranked eighth against the pass this season and allowed just 221.4 passing yards um, this season. Uh, and they're sixth in passing defense DVOA. Yes, one, Thornhill's out, and he, that injury could kind of change that a little bit and might open up a, a small hole. Uh, you know, he's been impressive this season. But uh, since their Week 12 bye in, in a six-game win streak, the Chiefs allowed just 11.5 points per game. They've also quietly finished 10th in adjusted sack uh, rate percentage this season, and the Texans gave up seven sacks last week. Their offensive line has been bad, even with uh, the the trades that they made. Uh, look, when you look back to their game earlier on this season, Houston won 31-24 in Arrowhead, and that was kind of their high-water mark of the season for the Texans. But when you look at the numbers and look at the game itself, Kansas City actually had a higher DVOA than Houston, 25% to 7%. Despite losing that 31 to 24, it was one of those strange games where the winning team was way less efficient, but won by running way more plays than the other team. Houston had 83 plays to 47 for Kansas City. They held the ball on offense for nearly 40 minutes and held the Chiefs to seven points over the last three quarters. But the Chiefs had 6.6 yards per play compared to Houston's 5.7. So over the long term, the superior yard per play in a more, is a more positive indicator than running a lot of plays in a game. So it tends to suggest that, you know, when you when you look at those numbers, more likely than not that that team, the Chiefs, are going to beat the Texans when you look at that. Uh, plus, you've got to factor in the bye. Andy Reid's 22-4 and four straight up after a bye, 17-9 and nine against the spread all time. 
after a regular season or postseason bye. He's four and one in the divisional round after a week off. Um, it's also important to note as well that after an extra week to prepare, the under has hit in 20 of the 26 games and in seven of nine games since uh, he joined Kansas City Ooh. for Andy Reid. So we're getting the second best team in DVOA at home after a bye with the better coach against the 19th ranked DVOA team on the road against a colossal, yeah, after a colossal stink fest last week. Taking the Chiefs minus nine and a half and I'm taking the under 51. You also, if you look at the weighted DVOAs, on uh, football outsiders, there's a massive like every team's in the top twelve, and then Houston are twenty third. It's just they're easily the worst team left in the NFL right now. And K- Kansas City, I think, behind the Ravens right now, are the second best team. It's also worth noting that Mahomes wasn't healthy, one hundred percent healthy when he played the Texans um, earlier this season. So, yeah, I like the Chiefs minus nine and a half. I like under fifty one. I'll line and total double it um, as well. What have you got? Yeah, complete agreement. Chiefs by plenty in this game. Texans actually quite easily the most limited of the remaining eight teams that we've got, particularly on defense and where they're getting continually gashed. Yet, as you know all too well, Josh, they're somehow staying alive and, 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 and they're here with the division title again in their bag and, you know, on their lanyards. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, it feels like, like they're, they're the, they operate the best when they're down, like, in double, when they're down double digits, they're in a hole, and they throw yeah. Bill O'Brien's plan out the window, and just Sean Watson just says, "All right, I'm going to play MJ Ball and be Michael Jordan," and that's which, yeah, and which that's was fine. My... Yeah, that's like, and and if they do cover, it's going to be because Watson's going to be amazing late again, and it's not going to be because they're a great team or they're a well coached team. It's just just Sean Watson being a superstar. That's it. That's all I've got. Yeah, and that, and that's I, I mentioned last week when it does, and in the game, especially with Buffalo, it came down to Hopkins and Deshaun Watson being that level above everybody else on the field. Yep. And exactly once you, you nail on the head there, once a bad coach or a limited coach like Bill O'Brien, his best laid plans break down, then the improvisation comes through completely. And that's why, well, I mean, that was my best play of the week in play last week back in Houston when they were ten or thirteen points down. And, and it worked out and you can, you know, play it from there, but it's, it, you're exactly right. And, and that's where Watson's strengths is. So imagine him sort of armed up with an actual brilliant, yeah. um, offensive mind. Um, but yes, yeah, so they've got here, they're once again, sort of like that annoying person at the convention, aren't they? Like they're just oh, hanging around like, oh just God. happy to be here, guys. Yeah. Um, but the fun ends here against a monstrous attack, which as you said, is fresh and healthy and in season best form. Texans have given up, and this is sometimes, you know, all these numbers are all meaningful. They've given up at least 400 yards, which is a big figure in the NFL, in six of its last nine games. That happened once in its first eight. Mm. So it's happening already a bad defense at the start of the year personnel-wise. It's six times worse over the second half of the year. The only real weakness for KC, as we've said, is this rush defense, which legitimately Houston came to life when they did beat them at Arrowhead early in the year. But that, as we said, that was a not a full strength KC at that stage. Texans 6.1 yards per play on defense as well as the worst mark in the league. So we're not talking about the worst defense about these, you know, from the last eight participants. We're talking about the worst defense overall. They start thinking about your Clevelands or your Jacksonville or your Carolinas or whoever. This is the worst playing here this weekend against the best offense. So mm. that, that that makes me really really scared. Be interesting to see if Houston can um, can show some early life and maybe present a sort of in play opportunity like happened last week um, 
for Houston, but hopefully that might come with the Chiefs because that is a big line to, to overcome in any match. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, that might not arrive because Texans are abysmal starters. And again, this might be a Bill O'Brien thing as well. They averaged just 2.8 first quarter points this year. That's the 30th mark in the league. Yeah. Go on, Washington have been worse. So they come out of the gates against, and we spoke before, the AFC South, you know, isn't something to write home about on defense, and they're still getting nothing done. So this could be over really early, and that might be the only thing that, you know, could there be a backdoor cover when KC are taking everybody out of the game? But this could, you know, I think there was a game a few weeks ago when we said the same with KC, and they got it done by against Oakland, mm-hmm. it was, yep. when they won by about 30 points. I could see something similar happening here. Wow. In fact, I don't know about that. I just, uh, maybe 30. Double figures, yeah. double figures. I think, oh, definitely. I, do, I definitely cover. think yeah. they cover. Um, in terms of uh, looking at the, the way that they ran the ball, you mentioned sort of that Chris, Chris Jones didn't play back when they played in yeah. week six. And he's, he's, he's one of the underrated defensive linemen in the league. He, oh, he's, he's, he's their best he, player on defense, I'd argue. Yeah. He, he should have been on, a, he should have been on an all pro team. I think he's, he's phenomenal and he's a phenomenal yeah. run stuffer. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, so that's just like a massive, massive, it, like, that's huge. Like their run defense improves tenfold when he's on he's on the field. So yeah, uh, and and the, yeah. the Chiefs, I know, like because uh, the Patriots have stolen so many of the headlines. Four division titles in a row. This is a, this is an adult team with an adult coach for the most part. <laughs> Andy Reid. I just think yeah, that yeah. this is this is a team who deserves to be in the conference championship again. Yeah. Second will be their second in a row. They're much better than the yeah. Texans. I mean, so. if D four doesn't jump offside, they probably win the Super Bowl. So yeah, um, you yeah, know, we. We, we've been, we got robbed of Chiefs versus Saints last year and, and now the Saints are out so we won't get to see it again, uh, unfortunately. And, and all, all of the Lamar, you know, deserved mayhem that he's created and potentially has changed the game and reinvigorated it. It's allowed the spotlight to slip a little bit from Mahomes, mm. which is, well, I think, a really good thing because he's able to just sort of galvanize that group. He was brilliant, even as yeah. injured. They rally around him. He's quite, you know, so he's sort of, sort of magnetic figure in that franchise. They love him and understandably so. I love where the Chiefs and Ravens are going and taking football. So yeah. it's 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 a, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, we the NFL deserves Ravens Chiefs. Like we want to see Ravens. Chiefs. Yeah. Let's 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 do it. Let's that's what we want to see. We want to see Ravens Chiefs. Like let let's bring it on. Um, I'm also looking forward to uh, Deshaun Watson making plays and ESPN. Um, uh, giving all the credit to JJ Ward instead. Yeah, somehow, I mean, somehow will happen. How somehow. dare a quarterback of color make a play? Come on, Absolutely. Let's, let's prop up the white D lineman. Oh, come on. Yeah. Did, did I ever tell you what JJ Watt did in the Houston floods? No, I shouldn't no, muck no. around. Like he was, he was wonderful. You know, in yeah, terms of, I know. Yeah, but it's but, just yeah. Uh, it is. Sean, it's just, uh, Deshaun Watson uh, like avoided like, no, the, the play that he avoided two sacks was was like oh, no. he incredible. Is outrageous. I, yeah, he and, does it every week. Yeah. He's so good. When Dabo compared him to Michael Jordan, everyone rolled their eyes, but that's a Jordan-esque player. It is. He's just he's just he a is, killer in the fourth is, quarter. So. He is. He's, yeah, he is an absolute champion, and as we said at the very start of the year on this podcast, yeah. please, Houston, you know, be serious about this. Yeah. Build a proper team around this I know talent. they won a playoff game, but I'd still fi- I would have fired Bill O'Brien this week. I, I still would have. <laughs> I, 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 I believe that. I firmly believe that. Um, yeah, no, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a ballsy call. I don't mind it. I yeah. probably wouldn't, but I just want them to, I just want them to be. Hear me out. Deshaun really... Watson, captain coach. Just yeah. no game plan. He just drops back and, and is like, you, Will Fuller and DeAndre, you just run and I'll like ad lib and then we'll, we'll work something out. We're in this beautiful, times. wonderful era and he's just, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Yeah. And in conjunction with Deshaun Watson as Deandre Hopkins. Yeah. It's just, it's a wonderful thing and I just don't want them 
to, to flush this down the toilet and yeah. I can oh, so see happen. them doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I liked, yeah, I liked your analogy earlier that they're just happy to be here. They're, they're kind of the annoying uh, mature age student in a lecture that just won't go away. You know, just <laughs> your time's up. Stop putting your hand up. You're, you're done. You, no more questions. You're out here. So uh, we're on the Chiefs. That's our lock of the week. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. So no play from uh, – sorry, hold on. Yeah, KC minus nine and a half. Nick is on yeah, the Nick Chiefs as well. Him. Yeah, so Texans aren't much chop in reality. Um, yeah, he's like, Mahomes will have a field day. So, yeah, that's our lock of the week this week. Chiefs <laughs> he couldn't be more definitive enough. there. He said, yeah. Mahomes will have a field day and the Chiefs will smash Houston. So, yeah, that's pretty... Nick, from his deathbed, yeah. that's pretty, that's his oh. final call. I like it. Yeah. He's on the money. All right, I think we're going to have a bit of fun with this game now too. Uh, Seattle yeah. at Green Bay. The Packers minus four. The total is 47 and a half. Monday, 10.40 a.m. We'd start time, but uh, I'll let you go first. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's hear your Seattle love. Uh, yeah, I know it's coming. <laughs> Should I get it's, some it's, like it's, it's should I get some Shakespearean sort of mu- music like a mandolin or a or a viola? No, and just... but come on! Like I, I'm 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 happy with the Seahawks. There's yeah. one team I've got right all year. Yeah. They deserve to be there. They deserve to go a step further. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. So I love Seattle money line. I mean, I love them to cover, and I love them to, to, on the money line as well. I, yeah. I'm actually really surprised by this price all round. Um, yeah, more uh, I think... you've got a factor home field advantage in the playoffs. It's worth about three, three and a half points in the playoffs. I just think it's just, yeah, especially Lambo, no especially be- Lambo. But there is no better team on the road than Seattle as well. They're eight and one. We'll get okay, to that yeah. as well. So love Seattle here. The more I think about it, the more I'm convinced Green Bay are actually one of the worst teams to have earned a first round bye in recent years. That's not me being a shock jock there. I just, I really don't, I, I just don't, are we even sure the Packers who are let, elite? Who let Ray, Ray Hadley in here? Shock jock. <laughs> it's a bit of a shock. <laughs> I'm bringing it out yeah, now. No, I, I like it. I like it. I, I kind of no, no, I mean, agree with you. Like, they really did deserve a first round bye, and that's probably where the Saints should have been, and now the Saints are out. But, you know, they, they yeah, did. But, yeah, you're right. They I, did. They got there. I, I yeah, agree. Yeah. Just five of their games this season, and this is where I think of the big query with me with Green Bay, just five of their 16 games this season were against teams who actually made the playoffs. Two against the Vikings. Yep, one and both. However, San Francisco thoroughly annihilated them when they played them. And the Eagles took care of them as well at Lambeau earlier in the year. The other game was against KC at Arrowhead, which they won, but Matt Moore was the quarterback. Yep. So what's worked for Green Bay this season? Again, so let's not gloss over that point. They haven't played anybody of real note. And when they have, it hasn't worked out. What's worked for Green Bay this season is a ballast attack. Right, so the first time we've seen for years, Aaron Rodgers has actually been willing, or at least enabled, to not have to do everything himself. Okay, yep. yet Rodgers in a big spot with his ego. Is he going to allow? Is he going to keep his wits and allow Matt Lafleur, Lafleur, and Aaron Jones to be themselves as coordinator and player? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Aaron Rodgers in this flustered moment is going to be able to be. The democratic Aaron Rodgers. He said he's happy to keep winning ugly. He said that. So, and he's, yeah. he doesn't care about stats. He said that this year. He's come out and he said he doesn't care about his stats. So, <laughs> I don't know. This, maybe it's a new Aaron, maybe it's a new Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Denica's keeping him calm, you know? <laughs> she's driving the car now. She's you know? driving, exactly. There we go. It's hanging there. <laughs> the, 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 the Packers D also concerns me greatly. So, so much talk, understandably, about Zadarius Smith. I love him. You love him. It's hard not to love yeah. him. Internally, they think he's their best player. 
overall, okay? Didn't make all pro. I even heard Robert Mays say this week on his podcast, he reckons he's a top 10 player in the league, full stop, in terms of his impact, which is a big call, I know. Robert Shock Jock Mays over here. Wow, that's... Yeah, I know. That's a Larry take from... I like Mays. So that's a very very heat take from him, but I like it. I don't mind it. It's it's big and it's bold. But the problem is, and if that is the case... This is a 15th ranked DVOA. So what are they producing outside of Zadarius Smith? Hmm. Coming up against a top five offense, <laughs> um, which is, that's the kind of imbalance we're talking about. Remember as well, Green Bay pretty much had the Philadelphia, uh, run into the playoffs. They won five in a row. Yeah, they beat Minnesota. The other wins were against absolute trash coming down the stretch, which was able to get that five game winning streak going into the playoffs. We know who the Seahawks are. Unlike Green Bay, there's no mystery about this team. They're a team led by a top two quarterback who has mixed it with the best and brightest all season, indisputably, and actually gotten better when they're away from home, where they're eight and one on the season. For me, it comes down to again that same thing, which is which is happening with Green Bay. They can eliminate or mitigate that run threat of Green Bay. They're ten one when they can keep opposition running attacks under 120 yards. They become a, a, a two and four team when they can't. So again, will Rogers be able to hand off to Aaron Jones, particularly if they do fall behind? Can they keep their heads and say, yep, we're comfortable with this backfield. We're comfortable for a guy who, you know, amassed 1700 yards and 19 touchdowns or whatever it was. So as the season's gone on, I've been kind of increasingly convinced. And you know, my love for the Seattle team convincingly increased that San Francisco and Seattle that are toast of the NFC. They've proved it in the two games. They've played each other. I'd love to see them lock horns again in next week's NFC championship game. Um, I think these two are separated from themselves, and I think this is the moment once again where Seattle prove it. So mm. I'm kind of mixed. I agree with you that I want to. I'm kind of want to see San Fran Seattle as the uh, NFC Championship game, just because their last two games have been awesome. And uh, Green Bay versus San Fran was a bit of a fizzer. Um, it was, but Minnesota Green Bay would also be a pretty cool um, matchup um, for NFC Championship game. Just it's a divisional game again, and. Yeah. yeah, so that's where I'm at. But, um, you know, he, here's where we're at. Uh, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are the only two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks left in the field. Um, and only one will kind of represent the old guard on, uh, so only one will represent the old guard on Championship Sunday, which kind of tells you the NFL's in a real young fl- flux <laughs> if Russell Wilson's the, you know, the old guard. But, uh, that's where we're at. But if I've learned one thing from watching the Seahawks, it's that none of their games are ever, ever normal. Like, they're no. never, ever, ever normal. <laughs> Um, so that I get why you love them. They're a fun team to watch. They're all like, but that game against Philly felt like it went for seven and a half hours. I mean, it was just, it was just ugly, to be honest. Um, but anyway, but games involving. That's, that's, that's not why I love, I, I, I love them because I love the way that they're built. I love their yeah. speed. Well, I, I think Wilson's they're Wilson's something... fun to play, but they just, sometimes they get into these, these grinds and it was like, last week as well. That was 17 9 was the same scoreline they played. Uh, when they played against Philly earlier on in the year, so it was kind of, that was kind of weird that it ended up being the exact same score. But yeah, anyway, um, but games involving Green Bay and Seattle and Seattle are always extra as well. How do I how do I bet on Seahawks recovering an onside kick? Yes. Can someone give me that price, please? <laughs> someone give me that price because that'll happen. I remember that. Yeah, like, I remember that, it was like that game yesterday. was insane. And talking about McCarthy at the top of the show, it's like the, the more things change, the more oh, stay the same. God, McCarthy botched that game so many times in the that, in the early by it. not going yeah. for it on the four, in fourth quarter and fourth and short situations. It's funny you bring that up because if I think of like NFL moments of the last decade that had me screaming in the house, yep. that was one of them. That yeah. was just like that chaotic. 
finish. I mean, that robbed us of a Ravens-Packers Super Bowl, really, because the Ravens are up 10 points twice against New England and completely botched that game as well in the uh, AFC Championship game. Instead, we got uh, Seattle and New England. So kind of weird yeah. how we've kind of got some of these teams, again, still in, in, in it with similar scenarios again. But, look, there's a lot of talk about the Green Bay Packers winning ugly, and while they certainly haven't racked up any style points, I definitely agree with you. They haven't really got many signature wins, but they're, they're real domination of the Vikings a couple of weeks ago was was you know, very impressive despite no Thielen, despite no Cook. But still, the way that they played in that game was was pretty crazy. But yeah. Seven first downs yeah, that's, for the match for Minnesota. Yeah. That rings in my ears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's that's pretty impressive no matter who, what personnel they're missing. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like they haven't racked up any style points, especially when you consider that, that Aaron Rodgers, you know, the most natural thrower in NFL history and, and normally just just a gorgeous quarterback to watch in terms of the way he throws the ball and deep field passing and aggression and, and threading the needle and dropping the ball in the bucket. It's not dumping off to a, a running back 35 times a game or Shane Vereen 45 times a game. Hey, Tom, remember that pick six? Um, <laughs> but, you know, they still have the eighth-ranked DVOA offense despite not winning pretty and not and being ugly. They're still eighth-ranked in the offense. They're 11th in passing, fourth in rushing. So they're they're really well-balanced. And they actually have a clear edge against Seattle against Seattle in, in that battle because the Seattle defense is is below average. They're 18th in DVOA, very weak against the run. They're 26 in DVOA, so I think they need mm, to unleash is... they need to unleash the other Aaron. And I think you touched on Aaron's ego and things. He he seems different this year. I, I definitely think he doesn't care about his stats. He doesn't care about the star points. I think he's just glad Mike McCarthy's out of the building. To be honest, so. Uh, that's the matchup. They have, they have spoken about that internally. Like yeah. they're all, it's a breath of fresh air across the organization. Exactly. Um, so Green Bay's rush defense presents a great opportunity. Um, as the Packers, they're just as bad as Seattle against the, the, uh, against the run. They're 23rd against the rush. They've allowed, the, they allowed the Lions backfield to rack up <laughs> 171 yards at 6.8 yards per carry. So I'm not, com- but I'm not completely sure the, the Seahawks offense is equipped to take advantage of that. Um, Homer. I mean, they have, they're two running backs right now are a guy called <laughs> Travis Homer and a 33-year-old Marshall Lynch who was handing out tequila shots at the Raiders game three weeks ago. That's their running game. And that's who they've got. But the Seattle coaching staff are still going to run the ball 97 times in this. But if they can get the ground game going, play action, deep passing, <laughs> Seattle's fourth in the fourth passing ranked offense in DVOA. They should thrive. But I just, this is the thing that holds me back with the Seahawks team. Why don't they treat every single play like it's third and long? They converted like a hundred third and long plays against the Eagles. But what are you doing in on first and second downs to be in third and long? Every, it's every time so it's maddening. It's bizarre. And I love that idea that no matter what they will. Run it. My dad could be in the backfield and he'll get carried. Yeah, yeah. They, they just, they're, Honestly. they're incapable of not doing it. Yeah, I mean, like, Hans Molman from the Simpsons could be their running back and they're going to hand <laughs> yeah. the ball to him 40 times. Yeah. Like, it, it's, he'll get a couple of carries. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's maddening. They had 19 rushing yards against the Eagles last week uh, off, like, 30 but, carries. But, <laughs> but I will say as well at that point, and this is me defending Seattle again, yep. it doesn't seem like it's an unhappy group offensively with the play calling. Russell Wilson, you know, they love him. They didn't give him a, whatever it was, a $160 million contract for nothing. He doesn't seem to be infuriated by it. In fact, I'm sure he's 
yeah. complicit in this kind of do style. Know, do you know why he is? Because even when they lose, everyone just blames the coaching staff and not him. And that's why he likes yeah, it. Because he's immune from any type of uh, blame. Same with Tom Brady. No, no. no I, 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 this is the thing when you said this, isn't it? Like, they're, they're classy, Seattle. They really are. I know their sort of fan base and their Twitter presence is, is yeah. crazy. It's full they of analytical. They jersey for their fans. That's not classy. That's pretty <laughs> trashy, to be honest. But, yeah, I get you. <laughs> no, I know. I think I, 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 I like the way... This whole t- the DK Metcalf story and stuff. That's another narrative yep. entirely, you know. This, and that's for me just why we're in the DK Metcalf. Yep. Can we add that to the list of you know Fitzpatrick being from Harvard, um, and DK Metcalf being fifty third overall or whatever? No, DK Metcalf being this one route player. If oh, I hear yeah. that one more time, <laughs> that he can only one. It's like yeah. this lazy the, kind of scout yeah. take. He has the best nickname though, Decaf, Decaf Metcalf. The, uh, <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, 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 that's a, a, a lovely booger moment. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> where was I? Sorry, but the Seahawks. The tequila yeah, shots. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Marshall, Marshall Lynch was doing three weeks ago, but it, it's crazy. But, you know, they just, the play calling on, on early downs is horrendous and penalties. They committed 11 penalties for 114 yards last week against the Eagles. That's concerning. You, you can't keep doing that. That's, that is, very, very concerning. But at the end of the day, the Seahawks still boast the better overall weighted DVOA, better strength of schedule. You, you touched on that about who have Packers beat. And on form, they do have the better quarterback. I mean, Rodgers is one of the greatest oh, of all yeah. time. Um, they left him off the NFL 100 just for shame, for shame. Um, but while the Seahawks are 8-1 and one on the road, you touched on this this season, Russell Wilson's 0-3 in his career at, in his career at Lambeau Field. And the forecast for Sunday is calling for high 20s. Um, and the Packers will appreciate that because they're five and one with Rogers when the temperature when the kickoff temperature is under thirty degrees. Wilson, he's zero and two in those scenarios under thirty degrees. Can't handle the cold. Um, so <laughs> he did a ride at Wisconsin, yeah, as exactly, a player, which is weird. But uh, you know, zero three at Lambeau, it's a tough place to play. The frozen tundra. So look, it's hard to pick against Seattle against the spread. Wilson's wizardry, like he's a wizard. He always gives them a chance. He keeps them in games, even if it's even if they require a little bit of luck. You know, there is like an onside kick or or something like that. But he still he still seems to always keep them in games. They're ten and two against the spread in their last twelve games as an underdog. So I lean Seattle plus four. I do think Packers win. This could be a field goal game, I think. But I really like the under 47.5 instead, as it's going to be two teams trying to run the ball in cold weather. And um, I think this will keep the number of possessions, keep the total relative, as each team tries to keep their opponent, opposing quarterback off the field because they know what they're capable of. The under is 7-1 and one in the Packers' last eight games as well. Um, so I like under 47.5. I'm going to cop out instead of going against you. Um, even though I lean Seattle plus, so I do think Green Bay win. Um, I just think the home advantage is so massive in terms of Lambeau in, in, in the cold and the weather and, and, and the week off as well. Seattle are banged up. We haven't really talked about injuries as well. They're, they're pretty banged up just because the Eagles are so banged up that the Eagles, mm. the Eagle, uh, Seahawks injuries kind of got overlooked a little bit. So I'm going under 47.5. Nick says no play here for me over 47.5 if I had to choose something, but I don't really like it. So. I mean, you could go with Nick's analysis there on the over, or you could take wide on the under. Um, <laughs> your choice. But uh, that's where we're at. Any final thoughts on that game? Yeah, just a quick thought experiment. Let's just say Seattle win and San Francisco win. What would your line, rough line in your head be for a San Francisco-Seattle oh, NFC? Oh, I just deleted my sheet where I could have just told you what my line would be. Let's, uh, I'd say four and a half off the top of my head, San Fran. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably go that. Um, yeah, And a, a San Fran-Green Bay game? 
Oh, I think six and a half. Yeah, I think San Fran would be around a touchdown against Green Bay. Yeah. Again, it, it also depends on how these team, I know, teams. I know, I know that's play not a, a way bit. of assessing. Yeah, very like different. Green, I like know. If Green Bay beats Seattle by thirty and San Fran barely sneak by Minnesota, yeah. I think that changes things a little bit. Yeah, um, it's, it's... but the Forty ers will be at home. Ah, oh, yeah, it it's a. What I know it's not. Like, what if it's yeah. Vikings Packers? It's going to be a Lambo. I tell you, that that'd almost be a one-two point game in my in my eyes. I mean, I. I'd like I'd like that to be the game because I think for, I cannot see Green Bay in the Super Bowl yeah. in an era in a in a year of intense competition. I just don't see them as being this elite team. Yeah, not I, yet, not no, yet. No, I um accidentally deleted my. Oh no, I have got my sheet over here. Sorry, hold on. I got uh, there. It is. Yeah, I actually maybe I'm a bit. Maybe I'm pretty low on the uh, Seahawks <laughs> to be honest. But I, I'd have it minus six and a half for San Fran um in that game if it was San Fran Seattle. Um, I boost okay. home, I boost, I boost home field in, um, in playoffs. I just think it's way more important because it's just way more crowd, way more energy. Just means so much. Yeah. Home. So anyway, um, all right. So that's where we're at. Um, we've already touched on lock of the week. Chiefs minus nine and a half. Um, best bets. I'm going under 47 and a half. Seattle Green Bay. We just talked about that. I, I really like that play this week. I think both teams were just trying to run the ball. Um, and Chiefs minus nine and a half. I know it's a lock, but, um, I just like it. They're, of the two minus nine and a half, they're the most confident I like. Um, Seattle to recover an onside kicks, my long shot, at whatever <laughs> price. Maybe request that somewhere. Um, and Derek Henry, 100-plus rushing yards. Anything over $2 I'll take, I think, is just a... Um, if you shop around there, you can get that at some places. So that's where I'm at. What have you got for us? Yeah, I love Seattle at the line and money line as well. So if you want a little bit more value, um, KC over nine and a half, Ravens over nine and a half as well. I, I, I'm comfortable taking double digits yeah, you can get, for both you those get, things. Yeah, two two eighty for the Seattle money line is seems like like I'll, I'll, I'll definitely I agree with that. I'll take a nibble on that. I just think that's that's crazy that price um, for me. Like yeah, two eighty, like it's it's Russell Wilson in the playoffs. I mean. It's, yeah. It seems crazy against a, a pretty, you know, as we said, pretty flawed Green Bay team. It's not, it's not an old Green Bay team where we've seen them, you know, just waltz in the playoffs and be so strong. So uh, that's that's pretty good. Uh, Nick's Chiefs minus nine and a half, and Min uh, Minnesota San Fran over. Um, he also likes the Titans plus seven and a half as a long shot um, play. You buy some, take some points off, and go with an mm. alternate line there. That's his long shot this week. I think that's probably over two dollars. That's why it's in the long shot section. Um, and uh, the model, the model went three and zero last week. For, for Stats Insider, so um, wrapping the brand well on the show, um, considering we didn't go too well across the board. We didn't have a losing week, but uh, 3-0. and So last week, they liked under 44, Buffalo and Houston, Seattle, Moneyline, and the minus 1.5, so really, they went 4-0. and And Seattle, Philly, under 45.5. I was on the same page as them as well with that one. So 3-0. and This week, they liked Tennessee at the plus. That's a 10% green. Seattle, plus 4 as well. So they're with you, James. Repping your company brand mm. well. And San Francisco, Minnesota under 4% orange. So going head to head against Nick there. Um, and the long shot is the Titans money line, 7% orange. Ooh, juicy. The model's a little bit leery. Maybe the model, the model really likes kind of random white quarterbacks like Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I've noticed. So, um, it's pretty good. Yeah. Maybe it's something to do with, uh, Daryl Data's input into the model. We'll have to, have to ask him. You have to interrogate ask him. him. Yeah. Um, James, any final thoughts on Divisional Week before we wrap yeah, up the show? Yeah, enjoy. This is one of the, the best weekends of the year. So last time we get four games of football yep. as well and down to just two after this. So. Yeah, exactly. We'll be back next week to uh, to recap all of the action, preview the conference championship games, 
And if you are watching the playoffs, remember the live NFL playoff coverage on Stats Insider. If you're betting live or just want to follow the likelihood of your team uh, saluting, there's no better place to follow live NFL than statsinsider.com.au with live scores, play-by-play, in-game match probabilities from kickoff of every single game. And uh, you just go to statsinsider.com.au slash NFL. You can follow them on Twitter at statsinsider. You can follow us on Twitter as well at Wootenwire. Enjoy Divisional Round, and we'll be back next week.